It's the Kelly Gramlich Show on 105.5 The Roar. Let's take it from the top. Clemson finished the season in basketball ranked higher than Kentucky. What a time. But I love seeing people achieving their dreams, okay? And just because he was so excited to achieve his dream, he brought a life-size picture of Grandma (laughs) up on the stage. This idea, the comparison with Deshaun and Lamar Jackson, has Deshaun Watson kind of paved the way and created more confidence for NFL GMs in a guy like Lamar Jackson, even though I still believe they're very different quarterbacks? We'll see. He has a mullet. That's the most American thing in the world. First of all, what? You should never tweet these sentences. Good grief. But anyway, I sound like such an old lady. You made it into one shiny moment. That, that's a big deal, okay? That's, that's, that's the dream. All righty, and we are live. And now, Kelly Gramlich. Welcome in to the Kelly Gramlich Show. Happy Saturday morning out there to all of our listeners. Can't wait to dive in to today's edition of the KG Show. I'm very excited because today our special guest, our special interview of the day brought to you by Chick-fil-A of Clemson and Chick-fil-A of Seneca is with Clemson legend Timberay. I can't wait to get to this interview. We talked for so long in our interview that it's going to take the last two segments of the show. It was about 30 minutes of conversation. I basically ask him um, about specific dates in Clemson history, and he just get, tells me what he remembers. It's, it's going to be so much fun. That man's mind is a steel trap. I cannot wait to get to that interview in our second and third segments. Also, if you miss any of the show today or you missed any of the previous shows, we've had some great interviews throughout the KG show. Make sure you check out the podcast on iTunes, search WCCP, and then on WCCPFM.com. Go to the Shows tab at the top. Click on The Kelly Gramlich Show, and you can find all those interviews. Last week was Terrence Oglesby. That one was great. He talked about the late DeMontes and what he did to help his fallen teammate. You're not going to want to miss that interview, so make sure you go check out all those interviews on WCCPFM.com. Today's Kelly Gramlich Show is brought to you by Engineered Sleep, as it is each and every week. Engineered Sleep knows the best way to get a good night's sleep is to have a bed that is made specifically for you. They can customize a mattress to your specific needs right here in the upstate at their warehouse in Greenville. They have thrived during their time in the upstate for two main reasons, trust and quality. Visit their website, engineeredsleep.com, to learn more about their process, see their many deals on mattresses. Also, give them a call, 864-630-5206, to talk with a personal shopper that will help you figure out which type of mattress you need. They make all their beds in-house. All the cutting, sewing, packaging, and shipping is done right here in the upstate. And here's a great deal for our listeners. If you visit Engineered Sleep, mention my name, Kelly, you'll receive 10% off your purchase of any Engineered Sleep mattress. So give them a call today. They're open today on Saturday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 627 Congaree Road in Greenville. So make sure you go visit Engineered Sleep and find yourself the mattress you deserve. So before we get to my interview with Tim Beret, which is coming up in the next segment, we are getting prepared for ACC kickoff and ACC Media Days, which is next week. My um, Out of Bounds co-host and I, William Quackenbush, will be heading up there and we'll be live from ACC Media Days Wednesday and Thursday in Charlotte. You can hear live interviews from 12 to 3 p.m. We're very excited for that. And as I've been preparing and getting ready for ACC kickoff, and just for the ACC football season in general, there's been one question that has been coming back and coming back to me, and I've been trying to figure out the answer to this question. It has to do with the Atlantic Division. It has to do with Clemson. It has to do with 
certain teams that we think could in some ways challenge Clemson. And that question is our KG Show poll of the day, our poll question, which you can find on Twitter at Kelly Gramlich. Go vote in that poll right now. The question is this, which of the following teams is the biggest threat to Clemson in the Atlantic Division this season? I gave you three answers and a possible other if you think it's another team. The three answers um, that I put out there are Florida State, Louisville, and NC State, which are kind of the three teams that have been um, the biggest threats to Clemson in terms of the division championship in the Dabo Sweeney era. And then I also put other. If you think it's Wake Forest or you think it's Syracuse, right, then, of course, you can vote um, for that team. If you think it's Boston College, by all means, go vote for that team. But to me, it comes down to Florida State, Louisville, and NC State. And when I looked back at the history, the last three seasons, Clemson has made the playoff. The last three seasons, Clemson has won that Atlantic division. Clemson is undefeated against Florida State, undefeated against Louisville, and undefeated against NC State. So you can't look back and say, well, Louisville got Clemson this one time. Maybe they could get him again. It just hasn't happened in the past three years. Of course, the team that most recently defeated Clemson was Florida State in 2014, but those two programs are now on different paths. So I don't know if you can look back to that either. When you look at the average margin of victory for Clemson over those three schools over the past three seasons, Clemson actually has the lowest margin of victory against NC State. In those three games, Clemson has only defeated NC State by an average of 9.7 points. Now, that's still more than a touchdown, but that's the lowest average. In the three games against Florida State, Clemson has defeated the Seminoles by an average of 10 points. And then in the three games against Louisville, Clemson has won those by an average of 11.7 points. So all those games, I guess the average has come out to about 10 points, but I think if you look back at the last three years, yes, you could cite the 2016 Clemson-Louisville game in Death Valley, which was electric and Lamar Jackson put on a show, but so did Deshaun Watson. You could cite the 2016 Florida State game in Tallahassee when Dalvin Cook went off, but Clemson still won that game. But when you look back to last season, the, the team that pushed Clemson the most of those three was definitely NC State in Raleigh. And the last two years, the average margin of victory over NC State for Clemson has been seven points. And one of those in 2016, every Clemson fan would admit, Tigers should have lost that game. NC State had a field goal to win it. And, and, of course, it didn't happen. But last year was also very close in Raleigh. Now, if you look at the schedule this year, only one of these games is away for Clemson, and that's Florida State in Tallahassee. So that could be a question mark for the Tigers. When you look at the makeup of these teams, if I just look at what, they, what these teams return, I would say Florida State is going to be the better team, but look at what happened to Florida State last year. They were talented last year. I understand Jimbo Fisher wasn't all in, and, and obviously the players weren't all in with his vision, and that was a divorce waiting to happen between Jimbo Fisher and Florida State. When you look at the Knowles, they do return arguably the best backfield in the ACC with Patrick and uh, Cam Akers. Cam Akers is going to be a star. Jaquez Patrick is a returning senior, so you have a great backfield there, but you don't know who your quarterback is. It might be Blackman. It might be Francois. So those are question marks there. You only return three starters on the defensive end if you're Florida State. That's going to be an issue for the Seminoles. And when you look at the schedule, the schedule is extremely difficult for Florida State. That's one of my main concerns for FSU, even if they are improved, which I think they will be. Florida State is not going to stay down for long. 
The schedule is extremely difficult to manage. The games that I circled that could be question marks for Florida State, Virginia Tech, right off the bat, at Louisville on September 29th, at Miami, October 6th, Clemson on October 27th, at NC State, November 3rd. They go to Notre Dame, November 10th, and then they host Florida. Those are a lot of potential losses for Florida State. I think eventually the schedule will eat Florida State alive. And they're going to be improved. I, I, I agree with that. I think Willie Taggart is a great fit at Florida State. It's still year one, and that schedule is, is still so tough, and I don't know who your quarterback is. Those are my questions with Florida State. When you look at Louisville, here's the stat with Louisville that blows me away. Louisville had its best player in school history, Lamar Jackson, one of the best players statistics-wise in the history of college football, a Heisman Trophy winner, a two-time Heisman finalist, the two years that he started every game, Louisville went 17-9 and nine in two years with Lamar Jackson. You had the best player in your school's history, and all you could muster was 17-9. and nine. That does not give me much confidence in Louisville going forward. Even if Jawan passed the sophomore quarterback, the heir apparent for Lamar Jackson, even if he looks good early on, I don't, can he do better than 8-5? and Because that's what Lamar Jackson did last year. They return... Um, all three starting wide receivers. That's good news for Louisville. I have questions about their backfield, and I have questions about their defense. They returned two players, two starters, sorry, two starters on defense. Dorian Etheridge, the linebacker, is the only returnee who started all 13 games for Louisville on defense. Their defense was already bad last year. Tenth best scoring defense in the ACC, and now you don't return anybody. So we'll see what Bobby Petrino can salvage out of Louisville's year. The other part of this, too, is that Louisville comes to Clemson. I think if you're going to look at those three schools, Louisville, NC State, and Florida State, Louisville is the least threatening of those three. The least threatening. Because last year the gap looked wide between Clemson and Louisville, and Louisville had Lamar Jackson at the time. So that turns our attention to NC State. And with NC State, there's a lot of positives to look at with the Wolfpack. They had one of their best seasons in school history last year. They finished in the top 25 for the third time since 1994. So one of the best seasons that they've had under Dave Doran, the best. They went 9-4, and four, second place in the Atlantic, 6-2 and two in the division. We know they lost to Clemson and Raleigh, which was the nail in their coffin for the Atlantic, and then they stumbled at Wake Forest down the stretch. But that game between Clemson and uh, NC State was, was close. It was nip and tuck. Clemson could have very well lost that game. Now it showed the maturity of both programs that Clemson ended up winning that game in Raleigh. But NC State does return Ryan Finley, who's back for his, wait for it, sixth year of eligibility. <laughs> the graduate transfer from Boise State is entering his sixth season as a college quarterback. And last year he was good. He was the second leading passer in the ACC in terms of yards. But in NC State's 13 games, he only threw 17 touchdowns. That surprised me about Ryan Finley. He was very productive, but not exactly productive in terms of uh, turning that into touchdowns. And he loses um, Hines, and they lose Jalen Samuels, so he loses some pieces there. They bring back Kelvin Harmon, who uh, is, a, is their leading returning receiver, so that's good news. They're, NC State's had a 1,000-yard back the last three years. Can they do that this year? We'll see for NC State. Again, with, all, with Louisville, the question is the defense. With NC State, the question is the defense. They lose all six of their front six. Basically, they lose their four defensive linemen, starters last year, and their two starting linebackers, gone. 
We know Bradley Chubb. We know that NC State had a lot of defensive players taken in the NFL draft. And that's great. That's something to be proud of. But how is that going to translate to this season? That's my question. You've got to replace eight starters on defense if you're NC State, and you have to come to Clemson. If you look at those three schools, I think the, the team that Clemson would most rather play on the road is probably Louisville. And you draw, NC, you draw um, Florida State excuse me, on the road, but you get NC State at home, you get Louisville at home. Yes, these games in recent years have been close with NC State, but Clemson has still found a way. They still found a way to win those games. And I don't really see how Clemson could, could lose to this NC State team this year with this kind of defense that just has no returners for NC State on defense. That's my main question mark for them. The schedule looks pretty manageable. It looks pretty manageable for NC State. They don't draw Miami or Virginia Tech this year. They draw Virginia from the Coastal, so that's good news. They do play West Virginia in the non-conference at home. Then they go to Clemson October 20th. They host Florida State November 3rd, and they go to Louisville on November 17th. This team could very well win eight games this year. They could, and then go for a bowl win. But are they going to challenge Clemson in the Atlantic? If they were going to challenge Clemson in the Atlantic, they should have done it last year. And they tried, and it didn't work. So when you look at all three of these, when you circle back to the poll here, you can find that poll on Twitter, at Kelly Gramlich. Which of the following teams is the biggest threat to Clemson in the Atlantic Division this season? The correct answer is probably none, right? (laughs) One of these teams could end up beating Clemson, but will they do enough to win the division? That's the question. But if I had to choose between Florida State, Louisville, and NC State, last year it was NC State. This year, because Clemson goes to Tallahassee, because Willie Taggart is breathing new life into that program, because Florida State wants nothing more than to erase the memory of last year, because they have one of the best running backs in the, in the country, I would say, in Cam Akers. And again, the main reason here is because Florida State does host Clemson in Tallahassee, which is a tough place to win. I think Florida State is still the biggest threat to Clemson in that Atlantic division. The KG Show today is also brought to you by Steve's Tire and Service in Easley, a locally owned business and longtime partner here at WCCP. They're an authorized dealer for BF Goodrich, Michelin, and Yokohama Tires, names you can trust. The same family has owned and operated Steve's for all these years. Take it from me, you can't go wrong when you take your car, truck, van, or SUV to Steve's Tire and Service. 109 Peachtree Street in Easley, between 123 and 93. Give them a call today, 864-859-1361. That's Steve's Tire and Service in Easley. And we'll be right back for more of The Kelly Gramlick Show in just a moment. The Kelly Gramlick Show on 105.5 The Roar. Welcome back to The Kelly Gramlick Show. It's now time for my interview with Tim Beret, proudly presented by Herb and Carol Tyler of Chick-fil-A of Clemson and Chick-fil-A of Seneca, where separation is the preparation. There's no better way to start your summer morning than with a four, six, or ten count box of Chick-fil-A chicken minis, served every day from 6.30 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. at Chick-fil-A of Clemson and Chick-fil-A of Seneca. Also, for a limited time only, grab a ten count chicken mini all day at one of those locations. You can also try their seasonal items, the peach milkshake and the white peach tea lemonade. Also, download the Chick-fil-A mobile app. Once you download the app and sign up, you'll be able to bypass the line by simply ordering through your phone. You'll have access to new ways to customize your meals, which will be saved for easy ordering on future visits. Earn points on the app toward free treats. 
Make sure you grab that app online at one.chickfilé.com. That's one.chickfilé.com. Ordering made simple at Chick-fil-A of Clemson and Chick-fil-A of Seneca. And now let's get to my interview with Clemson legend, Tim Bure. Tim, I'm so honored that you took the time to come on my show today. Well, Kelly, it's uh, it's great to be with you. And uh, certainly I followed your career very closely, which kind of began working in our office. So uh, we've all been uh, proud of uh, what you've done down at the Sports Information Office. Well, thank you, Tim. You're, you're just simply the best, and I'm so excited to, to talk with you today. Um, not just the example you set working over at Clemson, but obviously the memories you have. And I think a lot of listeners are very intrigued to hear your perspective on some major Clemson events. So I'm going to give you an event, something that happened in the past 40 years, because okay. we know you've been at Clemson in that sports information role for 40 years, retiring in a couple days on Friday, right? Um, so let's start very beginning, I would say, um, September 1st, 1978, you begin your career at Clemson. Do you remember your first day at all? Do you remember anything about that, that first month at Clemson? Yeah, well, I had a, I had a rough start. Uh, on September 1st, 1978, I woke up, uh, at the Holiday Inn <laughs> and my parents were, had come with me. They drove, uh, their car and I, I had a car at Notre Dame. We packed everything I owned into that car and we moved to uh, to uh, to Clemson. And uh, and so I woke up that morning and my throat was so sore, really sore, and it was swollen. And I just thought this this is this is kind of strange. So before <laughs> going to the office, I went to the infirmary. Oh no! And with my parents and uh, and so that's when I first met Byron Harder. And so Dr. Harder uh, took an examination, ran a few tests, and I'll never forget this. He came back into the into the room and in front of my parents said, Well, young man, you haven't been here very long, but somehow you've already found some girl to be kissing because you got mono. <laughs> you had mono? Mono my first day first on the day. job, yes. So he gave me some pills and he says, You need to go, you know, to bed or you're gonna run yourself into the ground. So so actually, my first two weeks at Clemson, I was in bed in the Holiday Inn, and did not uh, and and didn't didn't start work. And then about the third week, I uh, I worked about a half a day, and then finally by the fourth week, I was. Uh, but I had it uh, pretty bad. But uh, God bless Mr. Bradley, Mr. Bradley, who and now we only I was the only assistant. We had a football. Now the only good thing is the football season didn't start till September 15th in those days. Thankfully. So, uh, so I was able to, the first week of the first game, help him out a little bit. But uh, God bless him, Mr. B came every day at lunchtime to, uh, to check on me. And that's uh, when I already knew that uh, he, was, uh, he was a special man. I've never heard that before. Mm -hmm. Well, that sickness was not indicative of how your career would turn out. So we're thankful about yes. that. All right. What about this date, Tim? In uh, March 1980, you were actually doing a lot of basketball work early, early on for Clemson. Clemson reaches the Elite Eight in March of 1980. What do you remember about that? Yeah, that was that was a great time. And uh, what I remember about, of course, you know, that was the first time Clemson had ever gotten into the NCAA tournament. And uh, we uh, got uh, sent out to uh, Utah. And we had to play Utah State and BYU in the state of Utah. So this was our path to get to the Sweet 16. Uh, well, we beat uh, Utah State in a close game, 76-73. And in the second game, we beat BYU and Danny Ainge, who was a star All-American. He was a junior that year. 
and uh, Billy Williams played uh, very well, and we won another uh, close game. And so then we advanced uh, to the Sweet 16, and but you know we were so far away from home, we didn't have a feeling of the the pride and exuberance maybe that people uh, had for us. And, uh, be, and that was the first year that if you went to the West Regional and you won, and you were two time zones away or whatever the rule was, you could just go from site to site. Mm-hmm. So uh, the team went straight from. Uh, Utah, Ogden, Utah, to Tucson, Arizona, by a bus, and uh, and did a little sightseeing on the way, and um, so uh, I came back though to update all the stats and everything. In those days, you didn't have computer that you could do things remotely, so I came back, and Clint Bryant came back to uh, to do the uh, coaches show, and Coach Foster stayed out with the uh, with the team, and then we went to. Arizona, and then lo and behold, we uh, uh, we we won the third round game against uh, Lamar, who was coached by Billy Tubbs, who went on <laughs> to fame with the University of Oklahoma. Uh, and so then, my goodness, we're one game away from going to the Final Four. I mean, this was just unbelievable. And we played UCLA, a team coached by uh, Larry Brown, and except for the last four minutes of the first half, it was an even game. They won an 11-0 run. Uh, the last four minutes of the first half and ended up beating us 85-74. Um, but it was a terrific run. The other thing I remember about that is they were gone for so long, and then the way the schedule worked when we got back, that's when spring break started. So our guys didn't have school for three solid weeks. <laughs> not bad. Not a not bad, bad march. No, not a bad march. For those guys to make the Elite Eight. Sometimes, Tim, I just marvel at what you remember. And you'll see me do that throughout the interview. But uh, the fact that you remember a specific 11-0 run from UCLA in that game, that's incredible. But So that was kind of your first big moment with Clemson in terms of accomplishments with, right. with that team making the Elite Eight. And then we get to January 1st, 1982. And I know you weren't at the game. I you was weren't. not at the game. My priority right. was with basketball in those days, and I was fine with that. I love basketball. I loved Coach Foster and the uh, and the program. Uh, so, but I was with the uh, the basketball team. We were playing in Raleigh the next day, January second, and so uh, Bill McClellan uh, was afraid that because because Jim Phillips was going to the football game, mm-hmm. uh, although he couldn't broadcast it in those days. The radio network could not do it. It was farmed out to a national radio network. But he was afraid that uh, if there was a f- fog or bad weather or something that there'd be nobody there to broadcast the basketball game and i and i didn't have a problem with that at at, at all and and also you have to look at my perspective at the time at notre dame i'd been there for two national championships Mm -hmm. in football so you know i figured well if we win this one we'll we'll win another one four years later so you know (laughs) that's all right i'll be there for the next one and thank goodness I was there for the next one, but it didn't come until 2016. Um, so, so yeah, we watched that game on uh, on the television, and then uh, we talked a lot about it on the next day on uh, on the basketball game when Jim did fly up the day of the game. What did Mr. Bradley tell you about that experience for him at the national championship? Yeah, you're right. That was that was really neat for him because uh, he had been a lifelong uh, Clemson student, Clemson fan. He had started. Uh, as the SID in October 1st, 1955. And, uh, and actually there was a glimpse, if you look at the tape of the game, uh, they had a camera in the locker room and you could see Mr. Bradley 
go in the locker room with Coach Ford and had a, had a biggest grin on his face. So that was uh, that was just uh, just pretty amazing, and for him to take it all in. But he, you know, he handled everything like a pro. He knew everybody, and uh, and it worked out great. So this is a memory that some Clemson fans, you know, it might not pop right to their top of their mind, but December sixth, nineteen eighty seven. Clemson men's soccer wins the national title at Riggs Field. You were doing some work for ESPN as the timeout person. I was a timeout court. You know, it, you would like you have in football. You have the red hat. Well, they would have to take some timeouts during the the soccer match, which is actually tougher to do because there's very few breaks in play. But it was just it was a, a terrific uh, uh, opportunity for Clemson because how many times do you have a chance to win a national championship on your campus? Right. I can't remember the last time. Anybody's done that, quite frankly. But uh, for that short couple of years, the NCAA soccer decided to have the Final Four at host school sites to improve the atmosphere. Well, we had a great atmosphere. We had, I think, the attendance was 8,300 people for that uh, that national championship game against San Diego State. Uh, and uh, and December 6th, by the way, was my birthday. So that was a very nice birthday. <laughs> there you uh, go. Very nice birthday present, but that was uh, that was a lot of fun to see Coach Ibrahim win his second national championship. Very cool. And then we get to the 90s, Tim. A great decade, right? <laughs> what do you remember about uh, the dunk, Greg Buckner's dunk in the ACC tournament in March of 96 against North Carolina? Right. Well, uh, to put it in perspective, uh, also, this is uh, March of 1996, as you said. Clemson has not been to the NCAA tournament right. in six years, back mm-hmm. to 1990. And to that point, we had defeated every other ACC team at least once. and uh, But we had lost to North Carolina twice in the regular season. So we felt if we won that game, it would get us in the uh, in the tournament. And uh, I believe we were down eight points at, uh, at the half. So uh, things looked kind of bleak. But uh, we had a very young team. We started five freshmen uh, and just let us on a terrific comeback. And then we had the ball. Uh, with the score tied, out of bounds, with about uh, 10 seconds left, and Rick Barnes uh, drew up a drew up a play. I'm not sure it was totally executed the way <laughs> it ended up because the the last pass was by Harold Jamison, who had only 29 assists in 29 games that whole year, but somehow he made the right decision and found Buckner under the basket, and uh, he went up for the dunk, and with 0.6 seconds left, and there's a, I've know a lot of Clemson fans who who were there. And uh, we, we stayed in the Coliseum a long time on the air that night. And that was, uh, uh, you know, ironically, we talk about you know, Rick Barnes and this rivalry with, with Dean Smith. But that was actually the only time he beat Dean Smith. Wow. <laughs> and too bad it wasn't in Chapel Hill. Yeah, right. That would have been nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. What about May 2003, Tim? Clemson men's golf wins the national championship in Stillwater. You have a great relationship with Larry Penley and with Clemson men's golf. So, how was that experience for you? Yeah, that was that was a great. Uh, we had such a terrific team that year. We ended the if if you if you did W's and L's in the tournaments uh, throughout the year. Uh, in other words, if you're in a 30 team tournament and you won, you would be considered 29 and 0. Uh, so that year we were 183 and 8. Wow. We finished first, second, or third in every single tournament. Uh, that season, but but we were playing at Oklahoma State's course, and you could arguably say that the biggest advantage in sports that you could have for a home court advantage is golf. You play golf, I know. If you know the course, 
it certainly helps you out as you're competing against uh, someone. And the crowds were terrific. Oklahoma State had Hunter Mahan um, and a, another fellow who's doing well on the PGA Tour now, Alex Noren. Uh, and we were paired with Oklahoma State all four rounds because we were first to second after every round. But uh, we ended up winning by two shots, uh, and it got really close at the end. But um, it was is one of the great victories in Clemson history. Uh, you know, it would be uh, you know it would be like beating Duke at Cameron Indoor Stadium to win the national championship in basketball. There's been a lot of conversation about your relationship with Dabo, but I would say your relationship with Larry Penley is the one that spanned the longest for your time here, and you have a really good relationship with, with Coach Penley, right? Yeah, sure, certainly do. I go back to when Larry was a player. Uh, my first year, Larry was a, uh, a sophomore, and, uh, and so I saw him, and uh, he learned an awful lot under Bobby Robinson, who uh, retired from coaching to become the athletic director. Uh, for the 84-85 academic year. And so, uh, you know, I've just gotten used to working with Larry. I, mean, I love golf. I like to play golf. I've played golf with Larry. Uh, so we've always had a, uh, a close relationship and uh, just take great pride in the, in, the, in the student athletes he's had on his team. Good academics. They graduate. Uh, just really good, uh, good kids. Tim, let's fast forward to October 13th, 2008, which many could argue is the most instrumental date in Clemson football history or modern history, if you will. And that's the day that Dabo Sweeney became Clemson's head football coach. I just need your memories, your thoughts, because I know you can, you, you've said you could write 5,000 words on this. Right, yeah, so, I really could. What it was, was that day uh, like? um, Well, you really have to go back to the previous Thursday to set it up. We okay. had lost to... Um, uh, Wake Forest uh, in what would be Coach Bowden's uh, final game. And by the way, as we're taping this, today is Coach Bowden's birthday. Uh, so uh, anyway, would know that. <laughs> um, the, the, uh, there was a lot of consternation that made us 3-3. Three and three. We were preseason ranked number 8 in the country. Uh, so there was a lot of disappointment. And uh, earlier, the previous week, um, Terry Don Phillips had come to me and, and – um, uh, he used to like to bounce things off of me, and and he said, you know, I've really felt that uh, we need to, you know, win the at least win the Atlantic Division this year. I, you know, I I think we've given him, uh, you know, ten years to 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 do that, and he thinks that that is certainly would be a realistic goal for this year. And if if not at the end of the season, he thought he would, you know, make a change. So, but he also told me that he had a lot of respect for coach Bowden and felt that he needed to, to tell him that to just, he thought he owed it to him to let him know where he stood. Well, so he called coach Bowden in for a meeting that Monday morning. And, um, when he told him that <laughs> coach Bowden, much to Terry Don Phillips surprise said, well, why don't you just make a change now? <laughs> and so he kind of <laughs> did a double take and I, I, you know, not sure which one brought up Dabo's name first, but um, they immediately went into a discussion that they thought Dabo would be a pers perfect person to be, uh, and you know, interim coach the rest of the season and would give him a chance to to get the job. He had recruited 38 of the 85 who were on scholarship, um, and he had a lot of credibility with with Terry Don Phillips as a member of a lot of uh, committees. So 
That meeting happened in the morning, so about 9 o'clock I got a call from Coach Bowden, and he said, ah, Tim, why don't you come down to my office? Got something to discuss with you. I said, okay. Not really knowing what it was, although I had the back of my mind. I knew Terry Don might have that meeting with him. So I went in there, and uh, and Coach Bowden told me that uh, he uh, was not going to be the coach uh, uh, by the end of the day and uh, kind of gave me a heads up on that and so I could get a start on the release. Coach Bowden, uh, even more than Dabo, was the most media-savvy coach that I've ever worked for, and he got that from his father. You know, Bobby Bowden was very media-savvy. When Bobby Bowden had night games when he first started at Florida State, he would let the SID come down to the field with five minutes to go in the game, and if they were ahead by two touchdowns, he would get quotes from him then so he could go back in the press box and hand out quotes right as the game ended so he could get his quotes in the newspaper because with a night game, they were going to be on deadlines. That's how media-savvy Bobby Bowden was. That's incredible. Yeah. So so anyway... um, so he said he was going to have another meeting with Terry Don, which he did when it was uh, finalized. And so, um, uh, and then that's when Terry Don called me down to the office and told me everything I already knew because Terry, because Coach Bowden had already told me. Uh, so I, uh, you know, worked up uh, the release, and uh, that was quite a story the rest of the, the day. But Dabo did a great job in in um, seeing what the team needed immediately, and they just did a great job that of. of galvanizing the Clemson nation that first week mm-hmm. on that day on the day of the press conference no one could have predicted this but you knew coach Sweeney and, and you saw the way that he his confidence and how he obviously believed in his ability on that day did you did you think okay th- this could work was that kind of your thought process well I knew he had the uh, the personality I knew he had the all-around um, football acumen but he hadn't. What always kind of stuck with me is he hadn't been a coordinator, and that's what, of course, the media wrote. Uh, you know that uh, we hired somebody who'd never been a coordinator, and you know you just wondered from an X and O's standpoint, uh, you know how he would how he would do. But obviously, he's done terrific, and he's learned under a lot of uh, great coordinators and great head coaches. So um, you could say from that standpoint that you know what his success level has. Has, has been a surprise from, from that standpoint. But once he, uh, uh, you know, really took over and, and you know, made some immediate changes that he saw needed to be done, getting C.J. Spiller the ball more often was the main thing on offense. Um, you know, he was going to do well. Tim, I'm going to pause you right there. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with more of my interview with Tim Beret on The Kelly Gramlich Show in just a moment. Stay tuned. The Kelly Gramlick Show on 105.5 The Roar. Welcome back. Final segment of the Kelly Gramlick Show this morning. We're going to get back to my interview with Tim Beret in just a moment. This interview is brought to you in part by Local Q, the place to connect for beer, barbecue, and board games in the upstate. 30 Orchard Park Drive in Greenville, right off of Haywood Road. Stop by Local Q for the massive beer selection, delicious appetizers and starters, hearty barbecue and entrees, and of course the board games and other games. Cornhole, ping pong, pool, shuffleboard, and darts. Also, Local Q has a new event space. It can be rented out for corporate events, wedding events, birthdays, you name it. Great food and drinks for everyone. The private room has a full bar and TVs to watch all kinds of sporting events. Get $100 off your next event at Local Q in their new event space when you mention my name, Kelly Gramlich. Visit their website today, localq.com, or give them a call, 864 288 
888-646-6873. And now back to the legend, back to my conversation with Tim Bray. Well, this is obviously a big fast forward uh-huh. about nine years later, uh, January 9th, 2017. Uh, most Clemson people, most people listening know that date when Clemson won its second national title. You were there for this. One. I was there for that one. You got to be there for that title that day. What was that like for you? Uh, well, the uh, the day, of course, uh, started as, as you would with any football day. I mean, a meeting with the TV people and... Um, and uh, you know you get to the uh, stadium a little bit earlier before everyone, and you know you, you just you kind of had a feeling that uh, after we lost to Pittsburgh that that might not be a bad thing, uh, that it kind of reaffirmed or did a reset for for uh, for everyone. Uh, so uh, and the game was obviously uh, you know a terrific game. Um, I did have one 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 ace note uh, that. Uh, Clemson had never beaten the number one team in football. This was January 9th of 2017. The first time Clemson ever beat the number one team in men's basketball, believe it or not, was January 9th, 1980. <laughs> wow. Same date when we, beat, uh, when we beat Duke. So I thought there was some pretty good mojo uh, there. But uh, when, when, uh, when Alabama made its drive to take, take the lead and the quarterback scored in a long run, I kind of thought, well, this is great because, you know, we could have just, uh, you know, stopped them at the five or, you know, and, and they could have just run the clock down to nothing. But when we had two minutes, I knew, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson had uh, had a chance. And then just with one second to left to go, it was just uh, just amazing. It was amazing. Just re- recapping it. I mean, I was there, too, not in the capacity you were, but most Clemson fans, when they but hear that. You, you and Quok did a show, I believe, the we next did. day. <laughs> Save that show because yeah. ten years from now, you'll you will love putting that on and, and re-listening to it and reliving that. I still couldn't believe we got to do that, and I think back to that too. I think I was twenty three, Quack was twenty seven, yeah, and we're yeah. doing a show after the national championship in a hotel room at nine a.m. Went to bed at four, <laughs> four or something. Yeah. We actually got to Tampa at two a.m. the morning before because of women's basketball. Uh-huh, yeah, a women's basketball game to do. Wow. <laughs> right, so. I think everybody has kind of those memories from that day, but right. what an incredible day. And I actually read a quote from you, Tim, that this is a good time for you to retire in some ways because you want to retire on top. You want to go out on top. And with the success Clemson has had recently, you being able to cover that and promote that and be a part of it, is that kind of part of your reasoning for retiring now? Yeah, I, I think so. And also, uh, it's the football program is in a great place. Uh, so whoever took over for me, I wanted to, them to, to start out with, you know, things in a great, uh, winning, uh, situation. Obviously I believe the team is going to be very good this year and, and should be, uh, should be going forward. Um, so yeah, I, I actually, that, that quote goes back to, uh, I remember getting a 1969 sports illustrated where Bill Russell was on the cover. And he really, and you know, in those days, so things are changed. He really announced his retirement through that Sports Illustrated article, and uh, and but he, you know, the Celtics had won the world championship each of those last two years, and uh, I always remembered that. I thought that was that was pretty neat to uh, to go out with uh, you know that championship, and obviously the way Clemson has played the last three years, uh, figured it was a, it was a good time. You mentioned Bill Russell. You mentioned kind of the changes in sports media. Not that anyone could have predicted this, but you've been here for 40 years and you've seen the, the just the metamorphosis, I would say, of the media. 
How would you characterize that? Has it surprised you in some ways, how things have changed, how things are so different from 1980 to now? Well, you know, there's two ways of looking at it. You could, you could say things have changed a lot, and then you could say, well, you know, the, the, the basics of, of what we do haven't changed all that much. I mean, you still have, uh, you know, national media that you, that you uh, deal with. You still have outside media that, that really are going to de- determine what your reputation is. I always say the outside media is going to determine your reputation more than what you say about yourself. And, and that hasn't changed. Obviously, the way we disseminate the information and the uh, immediacy is uh, is uh, different. I mean, it used to be when I st- uh, started, and Mr. Bradley was, uh, we were both working. You know, you could you could tip off a beat writer uh, the night before about something that was coming, uh, and if you called them late enough, you knew it wouldn't get in the paper. But at the same time, you were doing them a service so they could plan their day the next day. Well, now everything is twenty four hours. You can't really do that, right. and 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 so, uh, and it's it's. You know, people just don't hold hold stories in that regard, and and there and there are you know the two aspect two ways to promote yourself today too. You could you do have social media and the internet, I mean the websites that uh, you can do that. And you know, it used to be we were totally reliant. The biggest change between now and and when I first started is, uh, you know, the the uh, Annie Triple, the women's basketball coach. You know, she lived from a media standpoint to see that article in the greenville news and if it didn't make the greenville news you got a call the next day (laughs) why is it in the greenville news and so at least now today that's not a problem because they can see your stories up on the internet and and they're satisfied with 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 that and things get out uh, you know on twitter or whatever so so that's a big change but uh but it's still at at our level uh it's still all about uh you know service in the media all right one more for you tim we know your incredible accomplishments, Cosida Hall of Fame, I mean, all this stuff, Tim, right? But from what I remember working with you over at Clemson for those couple years I was a GA, it was more how you did your job and then how you treated people. And I think that's what you hope to be remembered for. Am I right with that? Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, you know, part of it also I hope to be remembered for is, is what some of our students have done and, and, and gone on to, uh, to do in the, in the profession. I'm very proud of the fact that we've had actually had a lot more females who have gone on into the profession. Uh, uh, Annabelle Myers is in her 20th year as the SID at NC State, and we've got many others uh, throughout the ACC in the area. So uh, I'm certainly proud of that. But, but yeah, I think uh, I just would like to remember it as an SID that uh, helped the media do their job. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's something I've always taken pride in. You know, there was a sports information convention, uh, about 25 years ago that I went to, and there was a panel discussion where they asked national writers, you know, what's the most important thing that a sports information director does? And a lot of people thought, well, you know, writing releases and game notes or whatever, but they all said it was coordination of interviews and getting the, the coaches and the players access to them to to write their stories because those quotes are what make their their uh, stories and that's what they're uh, looking for so i've always remembered that and uh and tried to uh try to do that in my uh, my last week that's kind of what i've been uh, doing i finished the football guide and uh now been coordinating uh davos media golf outing which will be on tuesday the 17th i will hate to miss that for the first time in 30 years but uh but i am at least getting it set up so uh 
so Ross uh, Dalo that's taken over for me can just kind of show up and uh, handle it from there. Well, and listeners should know they're going to be able to hear you this winter on Clemson men's basketball broadcast. And then also if they watch any NBC sports coverage of uh, golf through the season this year, if they hear a crazy stat, that's probably you, right? Crazy stat from Peter Jacobson. I'm going to be Jacobson. sitting in the I'm going to be sitting in the booth with Peter Jacobson, and I'm going to be his stats and research guy. And uh, I've actually already done four tournaments, uh, and um, I'm leaving for the British Open on uh, on Monday, and um, looking forward to that. I'll be doing the FedEx Cup playoffs, so I'm going to miss some Clemson football games. Uh, the Furman game will be the first home football game I've missed since November of 1977, so that's going to be a little weird. I'm going to be in a tower on a golf course in Boston while that game is uh, is uh, is going on, but uh, but yeah, I'll be uh, uh, working the basketball games and, uh, and certainly uh, still be around uh, Clemson, so looking forward to it. Well, glad to hear it, Tim. You're not going too far, but no. you get some well-deserved rest. Well, so. thank you. Thank you so much, Tim, for joining me today. This was great. I really appreciate it. Kelly, it's been great to be with you. Thank you again to Tim Beret for joining me today on The Kelly Gramlick Show. If you missed any of that interview, check out the podcast on WCCPFM.com and iTunes. Search WCCP. Thanks again to Tim. It's been a great show. I'll see you next week, next Saturday, on The Kelly Gramlick Show. After further review is up next.